All right, what is up? Welcome to Culture with Leslie Lee the Third. I am your host, Leslie Lee the Third. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. As always, I am taking your calls tonight, folks. We got a lot of great topics to talk about. I'm excited to talk with you about them. I do have WWE Raw on in the background. That's an interesting topic of its own. We're not going to be talking about the wrestling aspect, but the fact that WWE, like every other place, deeply infected by the pandemic and their response, I guess much like our governments, is just to kind of shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, so what? So several of the wrestlers uh, were uh, it were or COVID exposed, Omicron exposed, and today and the same day they announced that they're going not WWE announced that they're not going to be doing any more te- testing. They're going to lessen the amount of testing. They've had an outbreak and they're doing less testing. That's where we are in the pandemic, folks. Uh, it's uh, affecting everything. Biden says he's giving up. Given up, but we're going to be talking about something a little bit more fun than pen, than the pandy today. I want to talk about The Witcher. Just got done watching season two of the TV adaptation. As anyone know, follows Struggle Session knows, which you can listen to at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.show or sesh.plus, anywhere you find podcasts. You can hear Struggle Session. No, I'm a huge fan of The Witcher, the books, the games. The TV show now. I'm a fan of. But I have some thoughts on the second season. I hope you do too. Feel free to call in. If you do. If you want to talk Witcher. If you want to tell me. What choices you made. Playing the Witcher perhaps. Triss. Yennefer. Yorvith. Roach. Did you help the tell? Are you loyal to Redania? Let me know. Call in. Looks like we already have a caller. What is up? I'm ready. I'm ready to take y'all whenever y'all want to come on. That's how we're doing culture over here. Nick, you're on. Feel free to unmute whenever you're ready to talk. How's it going? Uh, it's going just fine. Uh, I actually finished The Witcher Season 2 last night. Uh, oh, awesome. I, uh, yeah, it just happened to... I, I did the homework uh, inadvertently, <laughs> so... Uh, and I'm, uh, I feel like I'm a bit of a lowest common denominator, like not a, not a real fan. I'm, I'm a fake gamer girl, Netflix Witcher guy, because I haven't read the books or played the games. But uh, uh, I was just curious, because uh, the last episode, and I don't know if this uh, existed before the 80s, but, uh, and, and I actually do appreciate it, and I did like it, but, but, but just between us, it, it was pretty much for the man who has everything by Alan Moore, right? Oh yeah, uh, there's yes, there's a bit of that uh, in it. Element, but I think the books. I don't know because the books bar because they're the, what the show borrows so much from the books, but gets a kind of piecemeal. And if you're new to the Witcher, you know mythos. I'm just curious, were you lost as hell trying to watch the TV show? Yes, but I I still knew that I enjoyed it because. Uh... I don't know, I just kind of, I, I mean, I guess the most obvious comparison is Game of Thrones, but I almost appreciated it for just kind of uh, leaning all the way into how stupid it was and not, like, uh, have a whole bunch of just kind of pomposity that, like, you know, insufferable libs could turn into memes and stuff. Uh, 
Yeah, there's a light. See, The Witcher is both darker and lighter than Game of Thrones in a lot of ways. I feel that's uh, what I enjoy about it so much. And I don't know if the TV show is quite as is not. I wish it were better, but I enjoy a lot about it, and I, I certainly enjoy a lot more than I I enjoyed most Game of Thrones. We're not reading the books and not following the games. Did you pick up on the elements that? Most of these are remixes of like Grimm's fairy tales because I know some people did it. I don't know. That wasn't quite the vibe that I got from like, it. Like, did you know that that first woman they fought was like Snow White? Oh, Renfrey is supposed to be Snow White. Yes. No. Um. I I think the subtle things that I'm getting from it, though. I I mean, my overall takeaway, and and like I said, I'm a, I'm I'm a complete noob. My only frame of reference is these two seasons. But I kind of appreciate the level where it is kind of a commentary that all of these, like, kings and mages are either sociopaths or idiots or assholes. <laughs> um, I really yes. appreciate that aspect of it. The actual, like, mages and sorceresses are kind of, like, hit and miss for just kind of, you know, moral ambiguity. And I do appreciate that uh, Geralt does have kind of a, a pretty consistent moral character to him because... Like, are, isn't he just like us in so many ways? Like a, a forever millennial, constantly avoiding responsibility of uh, of <laughs> sailing uh, down, taking yeah, care of his child, starting exactly. to like it. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's my overall impression. So I've got mostly uh, positive vibes from it. I am still trying to piece together what actually the the big central conflicts are that I'm supposed to be like really concerned about because I guess like. Uh, Nilfgaard being the threat is a thing, but then so many people are kind of weirdly sympathetic to it in a way. Yes. And I, I guess I'm, I'm a bit confused where the whole thing is going, and I guess I'm getting the sense that, like, whatever's going on with this uh, Wild Hunt dimension is probably the actual big bad of this whole thing. You nailed it. You got it right. The stuff happening with the Wild Hunt, that's the main conflict. The stuff happening with the humans, as you said, you know... There's the Nilf Guardians seem like this invading force. They're assholes. They're zealots. But also, then the Redanians are like the clan and like doing pogroms against elves and shit. So there's no real good guys or bad guys in the war that happens uh, around the Witcher. There's people you know, you know, you're friends with and loyal to, kind of on both sides of the conflict. And Geralt ends up. That's why he can go back and forth between. Nilfgaard and Redania because he's and Skellige because he ends up being kind of neutral and knowing everyone involved and knowing that basically all of the rulers are assholes and pieces of shit. And uh, what? Uh, perhaps you could help me out with this. What is Yennefer's age versus Geralt's age? Supposed I don't know. To be? I don't know exactly, but they're both supposed. It's there's not really an age gap. They're supposed to be similar. And they've both lived for uh, much longer than a normal human lifespan. So there's no age gap uh, relationship discourse between the two. I'm not sure of the exact ages, but from what I understand, it was like it was like fairly close where they would still have a lot to talk about. Gotcha. In fact, you know, this this whole Colin episode may just evolve into like, Leslie, explain the wisher to me like I'm five. (laughs) Hey, I am here for it. See, the thing about The Witcher is that I, I think people 
watching the show don't realize that that sense of confusion is also what you got if you try to jump into the games or the books. Witcher takes is always starts everything in the middle. Uh, when he's uh, right when he started the books, actually, like the stories are not really in chronological order necessarily. They're these individual short stories, and sometimes he's jumping backwards and forwards in time, and they're not always uh, interconnected directly, at least not clearly to the reader. So there's always been this big lore behind the scenes, but you don't get page one on day one. The elves left Redania. No, page one is Geralt's already in the fucking shit dealing with something. And then he meets a guy on the road who has this big, long history that you don't learn about till le- later, etc., etc. It's a really interesting, you know, way of storytelling. Hard to get into, though, I think. And people who play The Witcher games feel the same way. Feel kind of overwhelmed when they start them because they just use the same storytelling style where it's just like, Shit is already popping off. There's all these kingdoms, all these pe- people you're friends with, all these people trying to kill kill you, and you don't really get... No one holds your hand and tells you like who all the factions are. You just kind of have to pick it up on your own. It's, it's all very uh, compelling. It's easy to get into. And, uh, you know, personally, I think my favorite character is Yaskir, and I guess I want to know if I should mentally prepare for a white people love Yaskir take... Oh, no, I love Yaskir, but the only thing is, though, in the games and in the, and in the books, uh, with the English translation, he's known as Dandelion. And it makes me mad that the TV show changed it to Yaskir, because I think they were trying to, I don't know, butch up the name. But the cool thing about Dandelion is, like, the cool thing about The Witcher is that you're playing this game, you're playing as this brutal, you know, Conan the Barbarian-like monster hunter who, who's, you know, carries two fucking swords and he's chopping off heads and, or, or he's, you know, you know, going to the nearest, you know, brothel or whatever. And then his best friend is this, you know, guy named Dandelion. And that's just a really beautiful contrast that the game presents to you. I don't know if Jaskier quite has it, but I love the character. I love the actor who does it. And he's quite a good singer. I think the songwriting itself uh, for Dandelion has been very, very good. I actually wish there was a bit, mo- a lot more of Dandelion in season two. I think ne- season two, we needed more of our Dandy boy or, or Jaskier, uh, as he's known on the TV show. Do, do the, I, I assume that the actual songs come up in the video game. Do they, do they slap as hard as the TV show versions? No, the TV show versions of the uh, Dandelion songs are actually better. They're not bad in the game, but they're more like typical Renfrew stuff. I feel like the the TV show, they kind of cheat a little bit with, you know, how they structure their songs. They take advantage of more modern uh, techniques. But the the soundtrack to the Witcher video games, if you like the, the, uh, the soundtrack to the Witcher TV show, I would highly recommend checking out the soundtrack uh, to the video games, even if you're not a gamer. Because uh, if it's not the same artist, they definitely have like they're using like similar motifs and i think some of the tracks on the witcher video game soundtrack are absolutely incredible just in their own right uh should i commit to playing one of them i'm uh again not not a hardcore gamer guy i'm still holding on my ps4 and haven't updated or anything but uh i think you know because 
Yeah, oh, Witcher, so, if uh, you got uh, PS4, uh, I would go ahead and say play Witcher 3. It's very cheap. You can get like the ultimate version for like 10 bucks. Um, and like you're you're not gonna unfortunately you're gonna miss, miss Witcher Two, which is a great game, but you can only play it on Xbox or PC really. But Witcher Three, you'll get a lot out of, and it's absolutely worth playing if you enjoy the TV show. And I think like and the, it takes place like far ahead of where the TV show is, so it's not even necessarily like spoiler. It's not really even gonna spoil you that much and the tv show might be going in a drastically different direction as well right on um i I can give somebody else the chance to talk i'm sorry if i've monopolized a lot of time oh no this is what this show is for thank you so much for a call in nick it's great to talk to you yeah thanks again all right have a good day thank you so much all right so thank you so much to nick for that great call if you want to call in absolutely anytime raise your hand please feel free to do so we're talking witcher tonight i also had a couple other uh options on the dock in case people had not caught up with the witcher yet we can talk about Dobook now i actually technically only watched about half of the movie already we put it on on christmas day you know on christmas day you're half sleep you're drowsy but I gotta say, I only and I was doing other stuff, cleaning up all the Christmas stuff. But I gotta say, watching half of this comic movie, I loved every minute I saw of it. Absolutely loved every minute I saw of Don't Look Up. I'm not just saying that because David Sirota wrote it. And I, I happen to like Sirota. Sirota's journalism. I actually really like this movie in a way that I don't like most modern movies. In a way that I don't like any of the things that are on Netflix. I thought this felt like a real-ass movie. It felt really funny. But also really, like, uh, uh, evocative, effective. Quite, you know, depressing. I can see why I got so many... I don't want to say negative reviews, but aggressive reviews. Because this is not a movie that gives you any answers, really. It just says everything is fucked. (laughs) Basically. But in a really funny way, in a way that's really accurate. Like, everybody's talking about the fact that it's a climate change metaphor. But that wasn't the part that scared me, really. The climate change metaphor, climate change allegory, that wasn't the problem. problem for me was this seemed like the most realistic depiction of how we react to an actual comet coming towards us. That was what actually scared me and made that movie really kind of hit for me. Is that I fully believed that we would be like, we could blow up the comet, but it has a bunch of minerals, so maybe we should capture it. I believe that would happen, and we would let a private company do it. And by we, of course, I mean the United States. Now, this is a point of contention about the film that I think just people kind of misinterpret it, and it's partially the film's fault because they're kind of. Because the fo- cause the f- film is very in your face with what it's saying. There's not a lot of solidity, except for maybe this one part where the non-U.S. world is trying to build their own rocket to take out the comet. And these are light spoilers. I mean, this movie is not, it's not a movie that's trying to surprise you, okay? So light spoilers for this movie if you haven't seen it. But I think you... I think I think you know from the advertisement what's in store. I think you I think I think you kind of get get the picture. No real spoilers here. 
Um, but the, 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 the non-American, I think it's China, I think it's Russia, the communist countries, they're trying to, they build their alternate rocket since the U.S. decides not to blow it up and try to mine it. They build their, their the Russia and China, they make a coalition to build their own rocket to blow up the meteor. And the facility explodes. Now, some people saw this and were like, oh, they're showing that the other countries are just incompetent. But I think if you actually look at the movie carefully, and again, the movie is not in your face about this in a way that's in your face about a lot of other stuff. If you pay close attention and the way that the film lingers on the main antagonist of the film, who is this uh, tech CEO who's in charge of the U.S. operation for mining this uh, asteroid comet. I forget. I don't know. I forget which one it technically is. But there's a link. Once the Chinese Russian facility blows up, there's a lingering shot on the CEO, and it seems heavily implied that we nuked the facility, that we nuked, that the United States nuked the Chinese Russia facility that was actually going to deflect the comet once we had failed to do so i actually decided not to do so that the other countries in the world had gotten it together and were going to save the planet but we deliberately sabotaged them i think that was the message of the movie i think a lot of people were kind of missed that soldy and so they took away from it it was like oh this movie is saying that if the u.s can't do it no one can do it but i don't think it's quite what it's saying they can saying that the CIA, if the CIA uh, would sabotage it on the behalf of business interests, <laughs> I think that's what the more the message is. But if you dis- maybe you disagree. Maybe you've seen "Don't Look Up" and you think what a lot of people think, which is that it's kind of you know this light, liberal, mopey, feel sorry for me fantasy. I don't. I didn't really get that from the film. I haven't watched the whole thing. I watched the bulk of it, saw the ending. I thought it was pretty good. But let me know what you think about it. Please please feel free to call in. Let me know your thoughts on Don't Look Up. Back to The Witcher, though. So, season two of The Witcher just wrapped up. Season one, bit divisive. Bit divisive. I was of two minds of it when I watched it. Because... Henry Cavill, of course. Perfect casting. Perfect Geralt. Yeah, he's a little bit thicker and bigger than Geralt's supposed to be in real life. So what? We love ourselves a burly boy on screen. Let him be. Let Geralt be skinny in the books. He can be a big hulking Superman in the, in the TV show. It's fine. But the choice for some of the other casting... I feel like it leaves a lot to be desired. I think the show could use, frankly, a little bit more star power. You got Henry Cavill, certified movie star, okay? Opposite comms crew, Superman. You got him in the lead. Great. Wonderful. He loves the property, too. He's a gamer. Okay, all cool. Rest of the cast. Some wonderful casting. Some wonderful... um, actors in it but not really a lot of star power between them besides Cavill and I wish it had a little bit more 
I think when you see a Witcher, you got you want to see Henry Cavill there on the poster with someone else you know, someone else you recognize, maybe a, a nice genre you know actor who's been around the block for a while, a Lucy Lawless. Imagine if a Lucy Lawless was in The Witcher. Now you're not you know seeing it pop on on Netflix and waiting to the next night to watch it. Now you're putting it in right there, you know, just for example. You know, just a little bit more star power, I think, could help the show. And especially since Henry Cavill just pops so much as Gerald. And a lot of the other characters, I don't really feel like they live up to the image that, that the games have. You know, they where they really stand out. It takes a while for, I feel, to you to really understand the TV universe. universe and the TV Triss. When in the video games... You immediately understand these characters. They immediately grab you. And this is part of the choice of the storytelling in the TV show because it starts with, you know, Triss very young and showing her first learning magic. And that's a choice. That's a bit that we don't really see in the books or the games. A little bit of an odd choice. I understand that you want to make Triss an important character, but I don't know if we really need all that. And... It made the it gave the season one the feeling that it was all prequel, all prequel um, to before the actual story gets started. Like literally, Gerald doesn't meet Siri to the last you know frame of the episode, the last scene of the episode of the season, and that's a very common way of making TV shows now to do that sort of thing where people don't really meet until the end of the first season. But you have so much of a world with Witcher. I don't think you have to do that. And in fact, I was thinking a little bit more about what would be a better format for The Witcher as a, than the Netflix TV show. I actually wish it was a series of TV movies. Remember those? Remember when like Fox or ABC would be like, all right, we're going to make three, two or three movies, TV movies. Of this story. Like you're going to get one in summer. You'll get one in spring. And then maybe you'll get one in another one in winter. Or something like that. So instead of a TV show. A regular series. You have. You know. Two or three distinct stories. With a beginning, middle, and end. And I think that would have helped. Especially the first season out a lot. Because they had that dual. They had the two timelines going. And a lot of people were very confused about that. I think it's very hard to do two timelines. When both are set in the distant past as The Witcher is. It's not like you're doing one in modern day. Where everybody has cell phones and stuff. And then you're doing one 30, 40 years ago. You know, as some shows do. It's like it. both the time periods look the same. And they would just jump without using any title cards. And that wasn't, that was a little bit, it could be a little bit confusing. But what if, the if instead of doing that, the first Witcher TV movie is just the story of series birth. Nice 90 minutes, beginning, middle, end. Gerald meets Jennifer, wins the child by surprise at the end. That's it. Nice TV movie. Next TV movie, you got... You series 13, 
now and the war is coming to Sintra and she has to flee and at the end she's looking for Geralt and Geralt's looking for her and they get separated and then the next TV movie they're linking back up they're getting together and that you see what I'm saying I feel like the TV movie format gives you that beginning middle end that's missing from a lot of these longer streaming TV shows where it just feels like you're waiting for the story to start. And you literally are with the first season of Witcher. Now, season two picks things up a little bit more. And please, if you want to talk Witcher, please feel free to call in. If you want to talk Don't Look Up, please feel free. Hit the button anytime. Absolutely anytime. Season two of The Witcher, I think... Obviously, because it's all contemporaneous. We're not splitting the timelines up. We're all there. It starts off a little bit faster, a little bit more of a kick. We get to Kaer Morin. It's like, holy shit, it's Kaer Morin. Just like from the video games. Just like from the books. <laughs> my, my partner was actually getting mad at me because I kept saying, every time I was watching, especially season two, I was like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've been there. And they're like, you have not been there. You just played video games. Like, no, no, no. It feels like you've been there. If <laughs> When you've played the Witcher games, it feels like you've been to Care Morin. So with seeing it on TV, it's like, oh, holy shit. I didn't know. They did a very good job. That's one thing this show does a great job with. Set design in general. Costume design in general. Effects in general. In general are superb. Superb. That's why I went with the pacing and the plotting was a little bit tighter and the casting a little bit, you know, poppier because everybody else is just knocking it out of the park. Everybody on the visuals is doing it. The monster design, really great monster design and not borrowing as heavily from the games as you might expect. They're doing a lot. Of, the monsters from the TV show look have some pretty distinct differences from the ones in the game they're both they're all are mentioned in the book and a lot of them are from myth fairy tale etc but the tv show is coming has it's more of its own approach to design these monsters than the game does yeah i, th- I don't think i've said it the tv show is actually an adaptation of the books not the games even though the games are kind of considered canon they're not necessarily uh, they're not straight adaptations of the books. They're more like they're get they're adding stuff to the books that you know maybe you take or leave if you're a book person. It's kind of the interesting the Witcher, the whole Witcher mythos, very complicated, very detailed. But you know it also you can separate it if you like as well. Look at each as a, its own entity. But you kind of kind of all you want to try to get a piece of all of it because all of it's good. All of it's good. Love the games. Love the TV show. And this uh, season two of the TV show. I think maybe not better than season one. But I think more in the direction that they need to, need to go. I don't know if the show's quite pulled it all together yet. But I think it's getting there. And Nick, welcome back. Uh, no one else is talking. So I may as well treat you like my personal Witcher wiki. Which oh, is, please, uh, please. Uh, so I had a question. Uh, how does the whole Elder Blood thing work exactly? Like, was it supposed to actually produce like a new 
uh, Phalanx of Witchers, had they actually hold, held on to the potion, or is the fact that it, like, tore a lady's face off just like it's this ultimate poison weapon? I couldn't tell exactly what they were trying to tell me with that whole subplot. All right, so with the TV show, the Elder Blood stuff, I haven't gotten to the books where they get super into the Elder Blood stuff. But in the games, I can say in general, the feeling is that this is the last of the Witchers. And in the games, actually, they're not even trying to bring it back. By the time they get to the games, they're kind of are resigned to the fact that there won't be any more Witchers. Now, your choices in the game can have some sort of effect on that. But the focus of um, the games at all is not... um, is not making more witchers at all. And I figured that people watching a TV show would think that that would be a big plot point because that's a very TV show or movie plot point. Oh, we need to make more witchers. We need to make more witchers. When the video games, at, at the very least, and the, and the books too are pretty, uh, at least from what I've read, like they're pretty okay with there not being more witchers because the process is so traumatizing. Plus, there's not that many more monsters and the ones that are left are pretty powerful and end up taking people out. And then there's war everywhere. People don't like witchers. Witchers, it's just if you're, it feels kind of like you're at the end of the road of the Witcher storyline. And what Siri represents is kind of this all new world. That's what her blood represents. It's kind of this the end uh, of it. Depending on how the game goes, depending on how the game. Goes. I don't want to spoil too much about that but i will say that bringing back the bloodline of the witchers doesn't feature prominently in the games at least not the second and third one i haven't played the first one and i'm not sure if it if how heavily it features in the books but it's actually not like in it doesn't end up being the plot point it's more like it's much more sadder than that it's like uh by that point vesemir and Geralt have just accepted that there aren't going to be uh, any more witchers, and this is kind of their last stand. Got it. So, but, like, what is Siri exactly? Is she, like, a weapon, uh, a portal to a lost past? Like, I'm I'm trying Are, to... I, I understand that she's powerful, but I'm also trying to understand what what the stakes are for if she, you know, falls into the wrong hands, so to speak. Okay, so, all right, this is spoilers, folks. This is spoilers, but not like big spoilers, okay? It's like it. Well, let me put it. It's big storyline spoilers, but it's not like a big deal. We're all we're all adults here, right? You haven't played The Witcher games yet. You've probably heard bigger stuff than this. But basically, Siri is is Siri is at least in the video game. She's not as important. May not be as important as she seems initially. It's more like a technical reason that people want her. It's the fact that, and the show, I think hints at this is the fact that basically Siri can tra- can t- can move between worlds between realities and that's why everybody wants her because they can use her to move from their reality into ours because they want to invade because I, I I'll leave I'll leave there's reasons why certain people want to leave their ga- their realities I I actually I, I rally may be the wrong word maybe even like galaxy would be, I think it, it would be better because it's like they are they're, they're not really tr- moving from planet to planet even though it seems so it's not fully explained because sometimes uh, Siri can transform to transport to worlds that look 
like futuristic societies. There's like science fiction elements in the Witcher universe because of Siri, but she can basically travel to multiple dimensions. Maybe dimensions is is a good way of saying it. And some creatures from these other dimensions want into our reality, and that's why they want Siri. Okay, I think I'm following. Yeah, and I, I did that as light a spoiler as possible, but that's basically it. That's why Siri is special. She's not necessarily a savior figure, but she is powerful and someone who can travel between worlds, and that's why everybody's after her. That's why the Wild Hunt's after her. That's why those monsters were coming at her. I think they even say in the um, maybe the last episode the monster was coming after her, Siri, not to hurt her, but because she wanted Siri to take her back uh, to her home, to her rally, because when the spears conjoined, all the multiple rallies converged on one another, and all these creatures got trapped here that didn't want to be here with humans. Okay, I appreciate this extra insight. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I am here. This is Witcher Talk. Asking your Witcher questions. I will answer as much as possible. I, As I said, I haven't read all the books yet, and there are some conflicts between all these properties, but I think I got, got the general vibe of it and the gist of it. And as always, I recommend anyone play the games if you can. You can start with Witcher 2 if you have access on if you have an Xbox or a PC, you can play Witcher 2. Most people don't play Witcher 1 because it's a very, very... Um, the gameplay style, not that great. It's the one Witcher game that's actually not that fun to play. has lots of great story elements, but actually not that fun to play. But 2, great game, one of the best games ever. May not be able to get your hands on it, but Witcher 3, you can jump straight to it. Very, very good game. And I think it's on basically everything now and very inexpensive. Oh, and uh, you were talking about earlier the uh, lack of star power. Uh, the guy that played uh, Tormund, I want to say, in Game of Thrones showed up as a uh, uh, cursed beast-like figure. I understood that reference, the Beauty and the Beast one, I guess. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the whole star power thing may be a be careful what you wish for, and it may just be like a dumping ground for Game of Thrones people that need something British and fantasy to do for a while. Yeah, but to be clear, there, should, there shouldn't be very many... I'm okay with a cameo from a Game of Thrones person, obviously, but since this is just Netflix's Game of Thrones, you can't get too cute with it, right? But I, I just wish there were, like... I, I'll be I'll be straight. I wish that Yennefer was a bigger star. I have no problem with the actress who plays her, but I feel like Henry Cavill needed to be... Op- it somewhat just a bigger name on this show and i think that would have gotten more people into it made it pop a little more because it has a great cast i think joey Beatty is very good as dandelion but who does he get to play off of other than henry cavill you need him to he should be having his own plot lines and his own little things going on i don't know i i feel like the show has a lot going for it they just need to work on the pacing what did you think about the kahir and fragila uh storyline in season two because it was one that's that i felt seemed very interesting but ended up not being that interesting until the very end it ended up in a good place but they could have spent time on other stuff like dandelion i think early on um the the whole through line with Kahir thing has been kind of confusing for me because, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
But so far, he's been like the the chief antagonist, the guy that's coming up with all the schemes to find Siri, like first going after her and failing. And then doesn't he get like the various other like, you know, the creepy shapeshifter man to go after her? He's been pretty consistently like a a pretty dark, evil, uh, you know, pretty narrowly focused guy. And then I couldn't even understand, quite honestly, maybe I I forgot or missed something, but I don't even know what necessarily even made him be sympathetic from the perspective of Yennefer and deciding to free him. And I guess Frangilla's whole thing is, like, I, you know, lusting for her own kind of power and whatnot and making those decisions that gets her closer to that, but I'm not sure where allying with Kahir actually works along that line because obviously like by the end it turns out that this guy is really a pretty small fish compared to the emperor and can be done away with in an instant despite all of these kind of uh plays to demonstrate loyalty and whatnot but i guess i'm just kind of lost over why i'm supposed to even think he's sympathetic on any level and why frangilla is i i don't know because I, I I guess they're trying to play it both ways with Frangela, that she both wants to be um, somebody that helps the cause of these, you know, uh, ostracized and uh, cast aside elves, but also vying for her own power. And I don't know, maybe the most direct comparison that I could make is like, maybe she's trying to be calculating like a Game of Thrones Cersei, if you don't mind that horrible comparison. But uh, yeah, tell me what I got right and wrong. So I think I think you got it right. It's definitely with Fergilla. She it, it is just a Game of Thrones plot, basically, and we're supposed to be sympathetic for them because we're spending time with them. That's basically all we get. But Kay here does end up having a bit of a face turn uh, in the lore, uh, where he ends up being a little bit more. I don't know if he, he never ends up being good, but he does end up becoming. You know, he ends up helping Geralt eventually, uh, fi- uh, and turn and turning over a bit of a new leaf. Before, of course, meeting. You know, he does end up paying for his sins, but he does end up redeeming himself. So he's a nice. He's. I think they're doing good. I like the character in the first season a lot. I wanted to see where they were going in the second season. I like the stuff at the end, but it seems like they were just in a holding pattern. With the story about the training ills, there was a couple of you know decent scenes, but it really felt like again, this is one of the things where if this were a series of TV movies, it wouldn't have been that storyline would have been taken care of in one movie, and it wouldn't have felt as you know stretched out as it did. And also, I mean, forgive me, uh, would imprisoning Frangela even work? I mean, she can she can summon portals out of thin air, right? Like, how do you even, like, imprison a sorceress? So there are methods. There's the Demetrium. But I do say the show, I feel like the way that they don't really do a good job explaining how teleporting works. Because you, cause you see people on horseback all the time, but then other times you see people teleporting all across the continent instantly and they don't really explain why you can why some people can just like instantly snap back and forth even the same people they're instantly snapping back and forth while other people are just like spending weeks months traveling from place to place 
I, I do appreciate, I mean, having played RPGs, like, you know, the fast travel trope. I, I get it. Yeah, um, some people have fast travel sometimes, but sometimes, like, you, you get uh, locked in a specific place and you have to finish the quest before you can fast travel again. And, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm on a roll. Nobody else is calling in. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry if this is irritating on some level, but I may as oh, well no, ask please. another question that I've got. So the whole, you know, spoiler reveal is that the, uh, the Emperor M here is actually Dooney, the porcupine cursed man in season one that I guess is also Siri's father. But, uh, which I, I guess, like, obviously it wants us to think that he is a, uh, big terrible villain, which, I mean, I guess he is, like, murdering a baby and whatnot. But, uh, but the thing is, doesn't he still have, you know, some sort of, I, I don't know how important these whole uh, oath-breaking, you know, uh, uh, doing away with destiny conventions things are, like, because I was under the impression that, like, to fuck with any of those laws means horrible consequences, and I feel like Dooney, knowing that personally, taking Siri from Geralt is risking a similar backlash, so uh, should I expect some some sort of conflict on that level there? Uh, there's all so with so if you're at you're at first thing I think you asked was is a mere asshole and yes he absolutely is he is a he is an asshole uh, throughout he is um, he, he's he I guess he start at one point he had some humanity but perhaps but no by the end of, and he maintain he is a major antagonist uh, in the video games and you will not like your interactions with Emir he's an asshole. Uh, he is the emperor, and you know people serve him because he has you know this way about him where people just are very believe in him, very worshipful to him. Uh, as far as the conflict between him and Geralt, who's there, Siri, in case you didn't know, has a lot of parents uh, in this game uh, in the in the storyline. Uh, Geralt, uh, uh, her her you know Dunis, aka Emir. Uh, Yennefer, uh, her own mother, her grandmother, her trainer. She has all Vesemir, you know, she considers uh, in, in some ways one of her parents. She has a lot of people raising her. She gets kind of a taste. She learns a lot from a lot of different people from all over the world of The Witcher. And it ends up being a conflict like which, which side does she choose? And that's kind of the central. Um, kind of choice storyline that ends up being in the last game is how you interact how does Geralt interact with Ciri just uh determines what you know what confidence she has how it, it actually is about like how good a dad you are to Ciri determines um whether she survives the Witcher 3 or not it's a really interesting Thing like the whole Witcher storyline is just about all these people, you know, backstabbing, killing each other. But the main thing is that they all have to take turns raising uh, this one uh, child so that she can eventually uh, help us avert some uh, disaster. And she ends up being raised by a Witcher, uh, a, a, a warrior, uh, a warrior uh, queen, uh, uh, elven uh, princess who has magic, um, a 
mage, you know, uh, you know, all these different people, you know, the emperor of the goddamn world, all these different people, and even some people in uh, some of the Skellige people, which I don't think we see a lot of in the show. They're like the warrior tribe, kind of like the Klingons of the Witcher world. Siri spends uh, a few years there training and learning. So, so kind of the whole world ends up uh, preparing her. The whole world of humanity ends up preparing her uh, for this thing. And that's kind of the central story uh, of The Witcher. It's not really about Geralt. It ends up being about Siri. Right on. Uh, this is, yeah, it's like a... I'm just appreciating that you're a font of knowledge on this whole thing. It's saving me a bunch of Googles, and I really appreciate that. Oh, no problem. Well, thank you so much uh, for asking these questions. If anybody else has a question you want to talk about The Witcher, please feel free to call in. Absolutely. Just hit the button. Love talking with y'all. Love hearing uh, from y'all. Love talking about this stuff with y'all. Just having a good time. Just having a good time talking about Witcher, talking about Yennefer, now, I do... Oh, and looks like we do have our next caller. Thank you so much, Nick. All right. Lainey, thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to unmute whenever you're ready. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me well? Oh, yes, I can hear you great. Okay. Um, I have, to, I have a question. I, I was so, so happy to see um, Queen Clanthe just, like, have her come back for a little while and that... Uh, those flashbacks and mm. stuff like that. Um, my my question is: Do we get like more? Could you like elaborate more on like why Calanthe hated elves so much when she herself was somewhat of an elf, like had elven blood, had all those, um, you know, like what was her, what was her main drive? Like what was her backstory? I'm I'm very fond of that character. Yes, <laughs> Queen Calanthe how horrible she was and but yeah yeah queen calanthe very very interesting character yeah, unfortunately I, I yeah i fortunately uh i think the most i learned about her was actually from the tv show um oh. in the book the, it, the book you uh the first book the first uh story that Geralt's in is actually where he meets calanthe at the dinner party and has that conversation with her ends up claiming the child's surprise. <laughs> I think that's the first story uh, in the book. So you don't get to know a lot about Calanthe other than that she's actually like kind of a cool queen and she talks to, you know, commoners and stuff and she levels with Geralt and she doesn't take any bullshit. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's not like immediately you're presented uh, with this woman in this position of power who knows what she's talking about, knows what she's doing. Everybody else is a dipshit and she is able to spot Geralt and know that he's like one of the other few people in this world who's not full of shit. And I absolutely love her. I don't know how much you get to learn about her elsewhere. I think the show might be one of the bigger sources. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I mean, I I just found her like a fascinating character. She was she was terrible. She committed genocide against the elves, and oh yeah, she was like so funny and. Oh, I'm actually looking now at the wiki. Looks like Calanthe does make a few more appearances in the later books. So def- and I highly recommend the books. Okay. They're well-written. They're fun. They're funny. They're sad. They're poignant. So anybody looking for more Witcher, the books are absolutely worth your time. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> I, re- I was like hesitant. Like, is the show going to be 
the best thing or the books. So that's good to know. Thanks for answering that question. Oh, no um, problem. What else? Did she, did, do you, do you kind of like, it felt like she knew that like Dooney was up to no good in some way, in my perspective, like now that I, now that we know that Dooney is like Amir. Yeah. I mean, she, she had like, she knew that he was coming uh, at the party, but did she knew, like, did she know, do you think she knew more or I don't know, maybe I'm just, <laughs> I think, I think she, she I don't know if she knew more, but I think in general, like you would be skeptical of anybody trying to uh, marry your young daughter who is heir to the <laughs> throne and also of el- elder blood. Like you would just expect that, especially in the world of Witcher, like, I, that's one thing that I think the, t- the TV show gets across maybe more in the first season than the second season. But, like, you can't trust anybody in The Witcher. Yeah. Anyone you meet will just as soon cut your throat as talk to you. So you can't really trust. And there's so much mistrust in the world of The Witcher. And the, world, and the war just exacerbates it. There is no real, like, social connection or tie uh, binding anyone. They talk, they mention, you know... Uh, the 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 meeting someone on the road on the path and having and being and having to help them out, but we see constantly like how on the road like dead bodies and corpses and just like how this world is just hell and you really can't do like is is as brutal a world as Game of Thrones. I actually think like the social safety net in Game of Thrones is probably a lot better uh, than the one that uh, that the it, it exists for the people of The Witcher. Okay, you know I, I would like to see if Charles Dance comes uh, comes uh, and makes a, a cameo because I I did find out like yesterday that he does the voice of Amir in in the uh, yes. games. So if you want a Game of Thrones character to come back, maybe Charles Dance with this nice baritone voice. But anyway, um, I think oh, that's all I. <laughs> yeah, Charles Dance would be a good cameo. I like him. He does have that gravitas, that star power. Like, even one of the mages, you know, could have just been, you know, a Charles Dance. You know, someone with a Christopher <laughs> Lee, of course, who's not no longer with us. But, you know, that caliber of old Shakespearean British actor who nevertheless keeps appearing in genre shit for some reason. <laughs> like, give us a couple of those uh, in it, in, Ga- in uh, Witcher. Bring in Sam Neill. Yes, yes. It's Sam, it's <laughs> Sam Neill or Sam Elliott. Uh, either one. Either Any of the Sams. Any of the old Sams would work. He has this, his Merlin uh, <laughs> expertise there. <laughs> so, um, I I don't know what else to say. I really do. I, I did. I actually like season one better than season two. I, I, did, I did like the pacing of it. I, I of season one. Um, to me, actually, season two felt like it dragged and then it rushed into the end. Mm. I don't know, maybe because maybe because I binge watched it. I don't know, but it, that's how it felt when I first viewed it. Um, yeah, I'm in, of two minds. I think it's almost it's like I think season two is more the direction it needs to go in, but season one on the whole might have been better. Yeah. Uh, on the whole, I like I, I like at moment to moment. I I kind of enjoyed season two a little bit more, but on the whole, I liked 
season one bet the storytelling in season one a little bit better even though i do wish that i do think it could have tightened up the pacing a little bit again i think that, what do you think about my tv movie idea if this was um, instead of a t uh a two series if this was a series of maybe you know four to six tv movies it may work i i think that's a good idea um pacing well, I, I I don't know. Maybe I, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think we're just so used to having serialized like like ten episodes for like a season now. I think it was just the '90s that did all those uh, five episodes and done with. Um, if I would have to think about like that, yeah, I think it would work. Um, I, I miss those shows. I mean, I, the only shows that I remember watching that were like five episodes or ten episodes, and that one and done was like uh, Gulliver's Travels. Remember that? Yeah, like a Gulliver's <laughs> Travels. Yes, yes, yes. The Witcher um, TV movie event <laughs> miniseries. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's kind of what I mean. But they also they had I, I can't remember the names of, but there were there were a few like sci-fi adaptations. Maybe I want to say Earthsea. Off the top of my head, where oh, instead yeah, of, I those. No. but I think it was like they did. They, it was like a book series, and they were like, and Fox was like, "We're not going to do a TV show. Instead, we're just going to do these three movies. We're going to, and you know, have one book be one movie, next book be a next movie, next book be a next movie, and that way you get the beginning, middle, end. You get a nice, satisfactory story, but it still has that serialized element to it, which I think yeah. would just work a little bit better with Witcher because when you're Spreading out, you know, basically a couple of short stories across, you know, 10 episodes, it can feel kind of thin and, and the time and the, yeah. yeah. And I just wish that, yeah, I feel like there's a tighter way to do it, even though everything, they nail the visuals, they nail Henry Cavill, but it's always even season one or season two, they, there's a struggle, a little bit of a struggle with the pacing. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I would probably be fine with that, like the that serialized, like that that way. Um, what else? Oh, oh lady, <laughs> I want to talk to you because I know you're a huge, huge, huge Berserk fan, and I thank you so much uh, for calling in. You're like one of the biggest Berserk fans in the world. I love seeing uh, your posts. Like, how do you think a Witcher, the Witcher TV show, compares to what you would think? a live-action Berserk TV show ought to be? Because I think of all the TV shows I've seen, The Witcher is probably the closest in tone. This, if, I, yeah. if I were going to trust the creative team just blindly, I might go with the team behind The Witcher to do a Berserk TV show. They're close. Uh, I'm very particular. Uh, if, a, if a Berserk television would happen, I would want HBO to do it. <laughs> in my opinion um probably not the writers D david and dan helming but <laughs> yeah. uh, but um i mean berserk as a tv series may work if you have right people and right writers doing it um peep uh if you for me okay so the witcher seems to me i i like it i enjoy it i'm not a a huge fan um 
I, I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't think. I don't think uh, them helming Berserk because Berserk is kind of near and dear for me. <laughs> uh. Will work. Um, I don't know. I, I would want HBO to do it. That's, it. that's my. That's my like HBO. Uh, somebody with like a visionary, like visionary mind, like. Oh God! Like whoever did Dune, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Villeneuve. Yes, like something like that. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> who would be your like. guts? Who would be your who, guts? Who would be my guts? Oh my God, you're putting me on the spot. I don't. Uh. <laughs> I'll give I'll give you mine and and no it, every day it gets farther and further off obviously because guts is supposed to be a little bit young but Michael B Jordan I would like Michael B Jordan as guts I think Michael B Jordan be a great guts I think we already talked about on recent episode of struggle session if we could clone Prince and bring him back he would be a great Griffith otherwise I think um, the Japanese singer slash actor. Miyavi again might be a little bit too old now, but a few years ago I think Miyavi uh, would have been a really uh, great Griffith. So Michael B. Jordan as mm-hmm. guts, Miyavi as Griffith, uh, Zack Snyder helming it, HBO series Berserk. That's my pitch. <laughs> that would be that would be very that would be great. I would be I would be down for that, Leslie. I would. Um, Maybe for me, uh, I, I hate to say this because, okay, Jason Momoa is guts. <laughs> oh, Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa. I mean, I can he, has see the, it. he has he has the gravelly voice sometimes. Like he's he actually like, perfect. He's actually a perfect guts. Now, oh god, and actually, what I'm actually looking when he was young and had yeah. short hair, he actually looks exactly like guts. He actually looks. <laughs> That's a real missed opportunity, really. <laughs> like he looks exactly like Guts with his hair short and his beard shave. It's actually un- it's actually uncanny how much he looks like Guts. I'm surprised. No- I can't believe nobody's ever mentioned that before. But yeah, he would be perfect. He- he's a perfect yeah. choice. Um, oh gosh, for if I were to cast Casca, but this would be weird. Um, since I cast Jason Momoa as Guts. Uh, I would have loved to see Zoe, Zoe Kravitz as. Kevin. Oh yes, yes, she, yes. I, she, she's be- she's a beautiful. She's so she's a beautiful actress. But again, that would be weird. Considering. <laughs> <laughs> would be a little bit well. Lisa Bonet back in the day would have been a great cast. Oh, so, yes, you know. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, I don't know who Griffith would be, man. Have you have, have you heard of Miyavi? I want to know what you think of my Miyavi pick. All right, let me see. I, I yeah, Google. I don't think. Okay, Miyavi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me see. Let me see. I'm on my iPad, so okay. Uh, Miyavi. Miyavi, Japanese. Is it a, a guitarist? Yes, yes, guitarist. Singer, uh-huh. and he's he's done a, a decent amount of acting too. He was in the Angelina Jolie uh, World War II movie. He played the villain. He was very, very good in it. Oh, he was the... Um, oh, I know who he is now. Like, from that movie. Um, yeah. He's the bird, I believe is his name. Yes, the bird. Yeah, he, he looks menacing. Yeah. I actually got to meet him, though. And he's 
super nice, one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's very, well, very famous. Um, but he told me that he actually, because he wanted to make it in America, and he, and he but his Eng- but he grew up working class, and so he didn't really have good English uh, growing up. So he, when he moved to America, he couldn't speak a word of English. He was he would like break down cry like he's he's a like major celebrity in Japan, but he like moves his whole family to Los Angeles and he's like breaking down crying at the DMV and stuff because he doesn't know English and he teaches himself English in a couple of years and he's a great he has great English. He did the whole interview uh, with me in English, you know, as a working class guy who had to teach himself as an adult. It was really interesting guy, really nice guy. I would have loved. To, I don't. I probably too old to play a Griffith now but man i think he would i think he would have nailed it he he's i i gotta check him out i guess and he's actually a very very talented guitarist too he can do it all he like he he's a very renaissance man i wish he had like gotten bigger in america for some reason every time like like so many japanese are interesting japanese artists like uh, uh, Utada Hikaru, you know, come to America and they just don't make, they didn't make any impact. Uh, but then these K pop groups come over, everybody can't get enough of them. I, I, I would love to read like a paper about this, uh, about why there were so many like attempts for Japanese artists to come over and they almost never work. But then these K pop groups and just instantly, uh, seem to, you know, really capture our imagination. I I really don't follow uh, J-pop or, or K, K-pop bands, um, but I would I will look into him. He seems seems cool. <laughs> yeah, he's a really cool guy. I love him. It's very good music too. Very uh good uh good guitarist. Well, Lay, thank you so much uh, for calling. It's great uh, to talk with you uh, as always. Do you have any berserk news for me? What's the latest updates? Oh, uh, latest updates. Well. Uh, obviously, the New York Times a couple days ago, I think on the 24th, uh, posted uh, a full full spread of um, the Berserk. Did you did you hear about that? Like, oh yes, uh, I did hear yeah. about that. Yes, it, it is quite gorgeous, and I can't believe I had would was would be alive to see Berserk on the New York <laughs> Times spread because of. I mean, for me, my view is is that Berserk is like obscured to like the American public, like unlike you know Marvel, right? I have to compare those two, right? Uh, comparing that, so it's it's great to see Berserk coming, like like seeping itself into like our our folds, you know? Yes. Um, I mean, I remember I can't, Lainey, I remember the first time I watched Berserk and it was because somebody told me that it had the most fucked up ending of any anime of all, yeah. and I was like, okay, well, I guess I gotta see it. So I downloaded it on DC Connect and uh, took forever. I was on like fifty six k, and I was like, I think I actually had to transfer it. Like the fucking from one computer to the other with like floppy disk or some <laughs> shit like that. Oh my god! I, it was really a pain in the ass, but I did it. And when I got done watching it, I, yeah, because I my computer was not able to get on fifty six k, but my mom's computer was, so I had to move it back and forth. Oh my god! But the feeling I get 
got of watching it of the music of the you know the yeah. visuals like seeing that in the new york times that actually is amazing it's actually kind of weird to see like this thing that feels so personal but also like kind of dark and weird and fucked up on the main in the mainstream like that that's very interesting Yes, it's it's very interesting. Um, I can't wait until they're coming out. They're uh, publishing uh, the English version of like the the full volume. I think in the summer. So I think that's what they were trying to promote. And um, still no news on whether it's going to continue or not. From what I hear, I don't know. If but, you know, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Whatever his wishes were, it would be. Right? Yes. Honestly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, Lainey, thank you so much for the call. It's great uh, talking with you again. Please don't be a stranger. Please uh, call back yeah. absolutely anytime. Love hearing from you. Have a good thank, night. Thank you so much, Leslie. And it was fun talking Witcher and Berserk with you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Next caller. Hansi, how's it going? What's up, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Listen, bro, I know you're doing a Witcher thing. That's why I waited for like an hour because I didn't want to interrupt your Witcher talk, whatever, right? I just, gotta, I, I just wanted to, because I, I know you're a huge Sopranos fan, right? And I, I've been rewatching it, whatever. Do, do you, first of all, do you buy the theory that Tony Sopranos, like it's, it's official that Tony Soprano is probably dead by the end of it, right? So, yeah. So, actually, I haven't watched all of Sopranos. I love it, but I haven't finished it yet. I'm still going through it. It's been one of my pandemic watches. I, just, I lo- absolutely love it. I just have, like, I haven't gotten sucked into it yet uh, oh. entirely. But I, I do know the ending of it. I have seen the ending. And I've thought this for years now. I actually did watch the last episode when it came out because I think everybody did with, without, you know, watching every episode before. I, th- I always thought Tony got clipped. And I was actually surprised to see David Chase confirm that, yes, that is exactly what happened. Tony uh, got killed. They just didn't show it because uh, it would just be too mean, I guess. But, yeah, I buy it. That's why I always thought. Like, I remember friends of mine debating about the ending. Friends of mine who had watched every episode. But then I watched it. I watched maybe the last half of it cold. I was like, oh, of course he got killed. What, else, what the fuck else could possibly happen? Wait, so, but what did you think? What did you think okay, happened? At first, I thought that he, I thought because it was a callback to maybe he, because when it blanked out in the first season, he had a panic attack. So I thought maybe he was like overwhelmed with being indicted that he just collapsed maybe or something like that. But now I'm leaning towards he's dead. But now the question I'm asking now, because now I'm watching it back and I know it's all the little subtleties that David Chase puts in. And I'm noticing, I'm leaning toward, I think, Polly Walnuts. I think he made the call to kill him, maybe. Okay, see, now that is what I can't get into yet. I, I'll have to watch <laughs> a little bit more to see who would make the call to kill Tony. But I always thought that, yeah, he was always dead. And it seemed like a more, like a, he was, a gangster has to go out. What do you want him to go out, retire? Retired to where? He's already in fucking New Jersey. Like, you want to move to Florida and retire? No, he's got to go out like a Jeep. Let him get let him get shot up with his family at the restaurant. People will talk <laughs> about that forever. That's what you want to see. Well, well, you know, but, uh, do, do, wait, uh, watching it back. So, you going back to it? Did you like? What are your? What are some of your favorite scenes? Like, do, like where do you where do you hold up? The the Christopher's intervention and shit like that. See, I I, I really I have I my favorite. I don't have a favorite scene so far per se, but I 
what I really pick up on is I love the, like, I love all the women in the show. Like the men are all these doofuses, but these the women, all the female characters are just so interesting, entertaining, engaging as, as soon as they come on screen. And they're treated like absolute garbage by these goofy ass fucking men who don't appreciate. I hate Christopher so much. I know Christopher is like a lot of people's favorite character, but I cannot stand how he treats Adriana. I absolutely despise him for that. I'll never forgive him for that. I love... Yeah, see, see, Christopher's always one of my favorite characters, like, but, like, like, the reason why, like, like, for example, when I say I relate to a character, it's not, like, every single element, but I guess, like, one of the relatable things that Christopher does that I think people gravitate towards is that no matter how much of a good job he does for Tony or he puts in, like, it's never good enough, and he always gets kind of over... He kind of gets overshadowed or pushed back. So, like, I think people have been in that position at work or something like that where, like, they can do the most work and yet somebody like Tony's cousin, like, you know, Steve Buscemi, could get a push to running a casino while he, while, while Christopher's character is, like, the guy that's been doing the whole thing. So, I think that's why people kind of maybe resonate with him. But, yeah, he's, he's like, a complete garbage human being for how he treats Adriana, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the thing is, like, I actually was like, man, Tony all the clip. Uh, fucking Christopher off back because he's just so irresponsible, <laughs> causes so much problem. Like he's too ambitious. Like I don't like. I actually dislike ambition, especially for people who are when people are like inept. And he like he just wants more because he thinks he like because there's more to get, but he doesn't deserve it. Like he's like not smart. He's like doesn't pick his friends right. He gets people killed. I always think I I really dislike. Christopher, I d- actually have avoided Christopher spoilers. I don't know if he lives or dies. I know a few people. I know a few of the deaths. I don't know if Chris dies, but if he does, I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to it. But I have a feeling that I actually end up liking Christopher before he ends up getting killed, and it will break my heart if it happens. But I'm on I'm on the journey. I really like The Sopranos. I I never watched. I didn't have HBO when it was on, and of course we didn't have like streaming services then. I just never got around to it, but I'm loving watching it. It's as good... It might be better than everybody has been saying, actually. I think, actually, people undersell how good it is. It's incredibly funny. I think it's probably... Like, I think it is, like, a, a, almost like a sitcom more than a drama. But have it's you, just... I was, was going to say, have you seen the thing on YouTube where they basically use Seinfeld aesthetics with Sopranos and they basically put laugh tracks into it, and it actually fits in to uh, what's going like for example when like you know how when Jerry's doing stand up in the beginning of a show right they have Tony Soprano in that in, in the same Seinfeld music basically ranting in, in therapy and then they basically just pick a mismatch of different sh- uh, uh, episodes and then they put a Seinfeld laugh track uh, into it and it actually it, it, it doesn't feel like like it's an off thing it feels like it is designed to be a comedy because because they, they, dude you're right completely like they, this is like it's like if you told me that it was a, a comedy I would actually think it was kind of a comedy with how stupid some of the characters fucking act in it you know what I mean like it's it's so funny dude yeah, like I, I've seen that before. I remember the NBC logo over the Sopranos in four by three format makes it. It absolutely looks 
like a, a sitcom that NBC would about mobsters that NBC would have, especially like the Steve Van Sats, like his awful uh, wig that he has. <laughs> very sitcom, NBC sitcom-y looking, like SNL level wigs uh, <laughs> in the uh, Sopranos, early Sopranos season. And it absolutely works as a sitcom. And that's not a knock on it at all. I think a lot of times doing this sort of comedy is harder than doing drama. Um, I really think the Sopranos just has like a great bunch, a great bunch of performances, a great bunch of characters. And it's so, so, so funny. Absolutely amazing show. I, 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 I'm taking my time with it just because I enjoy it so much. I, and, and, that you, and before I go, I, I want to go over your time. The thing that I, I, again, I, I, I know much about political stuff, all that, all that, all that well back when I was watching it. But now, like, because I, you know, I know more about the, like, you know, the political aspect of stuff, it does actually have good politics because it shows you how horrible they are, especially to black people. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where, like, like the one guy was, like, cussing Tony out for, like, trying to move, trying to, like, buy a house into, into, like, the projects, whatever, and he's cussing him out, kind of, and Tony, like, has his attitude, so I, I kind of think, like, like that has, like, some realism in it, where, like, Metal Soprano is trying to be, like, a good liberal person, she, but she's still so naive that she still buys into, like, oh, this guy was killed by an African-American because my, my father said so, like, you know what I mean, like, that same, so I, I can, like, the same type of element that exists in, like, a current society that we're living in, basically. Yeah, Sopranos, excellent show, excellent political commentary. I'm making my way through it. I absolutely love it. Hansi, thank you so much for calling in. Peace. Have a good night. If we have any other callers, please dial in right now. This is our last call, last call for culture, which you can find right now. Hey, I got a URL, 1900culture.com, 1900culture.com. That's where you can find the show on call in. I like that. I like the URL. I like it. One nine hundred culture call in show. Like the WCW hotline. Know what I mean? One nine hundred culture. I don't actually have the number. Please don't call that number. It's one nine hundred culture dot com. Maybe there's some FCC regulation about this that I'm not aware of. I don't know. One nine hundred culture dot com is a URL for our website. I was trying. I was trying to think of one. I was trying to think of a good one. Obviously, all the ones there are just culture dot blank are taken, right? Except for the Bitcoin ones. Did you know this? There are now blockchain um, DNS designations. Only problem is they don't actually work with like the rest of the internet. <laughs> like you have to do some ex- run some extra server. To get your website URL on the actual internet, on actual DNS. So you got to be careful if you're buying, because there was one, uh, what was it? I think there was dot, dot ill, dot I-L-L. I was going to do culture dot ill. I was like, that's a pretty good URL. I like that. Ill, we can bring that back as a slang term. Ill, culture dot ill. But it's like a Bitcoin one. It's not a real URL. So you you pay the money for it. And then you have to pay more money to actually get it to connect to the internet. Bizarre. Bizarre. But everything's on the blockchain. Except for us at Culture here. Everyone, thank you so much for listening tonight to Culture. 
Hope you enjoyed the Witcher discussion. We'll have to talk about that Batman trailer next time on Culture. Peace out. Have a good night.